Hey, my name is Augustine Colebrook. I'm the principal at Midwifery Wisdom Collective. My focus is on big picture political movements that are happening within the profession, some of the controversial questions, and centering voices that are not being regularly heard. I'm Layla Wyatt. I am a traveling student midwife, learning midwifery from cultures and a lineage of midwifery throughout the United States. I'm here to center the voices of students to hear their calling, their pathway, why they chose midwifery, and even share a bunch of birth stories along the way. Greetings, I'm Jamara Amani. I am a midwife, a mom, and a social justice activist. I am here to challenge white supremacy, homophobia, transphobia, and anything that keeps people from being their best and living their best selves as we have the human right to do. And I am looking forward to sharing stories of birth justice on this podcast. Hi there, Delmar Dalton. I am non-binary, queer, transgender, midwife, and full-spectrum female. My focus is on increasing access and equity in midwifery care and midwifery education. Hello, my name is Angie Love. I am a community nurse midwife in Vero Beach, Florida, at the practice of midwife love. I also do telehealth midwifery through Midwife RX. I'm a mama, and I am committed to maintaining birth choices for all people and educating a future generation of midwives because we will not die out. So welcome to the Midwifery Wisdom Podcast. I'm so excited. I have one of my besties on the line tonight. And uh, welcome, Wantina. Hello. I'm Wantina Brooks Roach. I'm a midwife in Northern Kentucky in the USA. And um, Augustine and I met, that's probably been coming up four years ago now, maybe five. I can't even remember. And uh, I have thoroughly enjoyed getting to learn together with you and everybody else that you sent my way. It's been, it's been it's a pretty been a awesome. Ride. What you're doing it's in the world ride. is pretty awesome. So we're both in a rainstorm, which might be oh, yeah. why we're talking kind of loud. And Sorry, uh, we're, we're 10,000 miles apart. We are. I just love that. I love technology. And you're at a birth, which makes perfect sense since totally. you're the busiest midwife in the nation. We tried to find a busier one. Do you know anyone who competes with your numbers? There are a few. There's not many, but there are a few. Um, fortunately, most of them have a whole team that is working with them as well. So most people that stay as busy as I do have four to six midwives working in a group practice and so that everybody gets solid space. Um, this area does not have as many midwives. We have some midwives in Cincinnati, which is across the river in a different state, a few midwives in Indiana, which is also across the river in a different state. And but these aren't your midwives on your team. They're, not, they're just colleagues, I'll train most of them. right? They're good yeah. friends, they're good yeah. backup, and they've helped out for years with anything that I've needed because they know that if they call, I drop everything and go help. That's that's yeah. what sisterhood of midwifery is: is when another midwife calls, you drop everything and go because that's yeah. really important. So, um, well, I just area, love this. You're talking, yeah, you're talking about something that's near and dear to my heart, which is creating actual community, right. a trusting, right. tight knit community of providers that actually rely on each other. And honestly, this right. is so freaking rare in the nation. So, Wantina, you're a huge part of that. I mean, 
you are, I think, the most experienced midwife in your region. And yes. you've done a huge amount of bridge building and connecting between these team members. I mean, a lot of them are your students, so they obviously inherited some of your right. your skill and, and your knowledge. Everybody had similar training, so that everybody knows uh-huh. that everybody does things very similar. Yes, there's differences. Uh-huh. Yes, there's nuances. Yes, it changes from client to client, but it does help this region that everybody's had very similar training, like. Everybody's been to the breach training. Everybody's been to best mm-hmm. training. Everybody's been to doing mm-hmm. resuscitation with the same people. You know, we've had the same standard of care established as they all became CPMs, and that's made a big difference. So, how did you do that? Care. How did you build this? I mean, obviously, continuity. I mean, there's a lot of regions where midwives have the same training. Like, what's there what is. did you do? What did you do that's so unique? Well. I don't know that I did anything as much as I provided space and held space and provided that I was a trustworthy person because so many preceptors are not. And that is a major problem where preceptors have been abusive, have not taken care of their students well. They haven't raised their students up to be kind and compassionate to other midwives. This, it's in this catty cat world. And it, midwives are some of the strongest women I know. But when you have a room full of strong women who think outside the box, sometimes it's like hurting cats. Yeah. So yeah. One of my, well, one of so... my favorite preceptors, Mary Ann Griffin from Indiana, she would always wear this favorite t-shirt to midwife meetings. And it was called official cat herder on her shirt. And we always laughed about it, but it was true. Um, <laughs> to be able to keep everybody informed. And uh, Jane Dawkins, my other preceptor, taught me to always bring chocolate to every midwife mm-hmm. meeting. And everybody who knows me knows that chocolate fixes everything. So I always bring chocolate. It also we keeps the dementors away, right? <laughs> right, right. Um, but also, I really do think it's the fact that I had enough students working together that, yep. that they learned how to work together and learned how yep. to create that sisterhood, learned what it was like to be on call together. Um, yeah and to be able to answer those questions together. And I have such a variety of students and clients coming and going through my practice that it's always an adventure because we never know who's gonna be showing up next or what's gonna happen. So yeah. I made I made this very deliberate plan about eight, maybe, maybe 10 years ago that my plan was in 10 years, I would have enough of a practice to have students come and go, to be able to bring on another midwife that is also a preceptor um, and to be able to have more than one CPM and then within the next five years after that to be able to have a good co-op of midwives working together. And as of this year, that's actually happening. It it takes that long. It's not something you can just go, I'm going to have a co-op and expect to have it in six months. Yeah, that's not how any of that works. You have to have the clientele to support it. You have to have the fees to support it. You have to have the students knowing that you're a safe place to come and work at to be able to support it without taking advantage of anything because yeah, that's the definitely. line too that's definitely line definitely line too. yeah i mean i know for a fact i mean i used to work in a in a busy practice i had a lot of students in my practice yeah. and i know for a fact that student labor is a part of the business model it can be so explain to me like what you balance or like what is off limits for a student to do for free? How do you keep that balance? Uh, yeah, no, they don't do free work. 
they they just uh -huh. don't. Um, it's not okay for me to ever ask anything of uh, students to do anything for me personally in my personal life. There, it is not okay for them to be doing my laundry or washing my car. That's not that's abusive. Yeah. No, and it's happening all over the country. So this is um, very important that we define this. So. So some of the yes. things that are totally off limits are anything that personally serves or betters your life, personally. Correct. Anything that's but not a part of clinical practice, yeah. right? If they can't get a signature for it, then why are they doing it? There we go. Why? I agree. My thought has always been that too. If they can't either get a signature for it or use it in their future practice, like you don't get a signature right. for learning how to run a front desk, but that's actually an important it's part of a practice. Important. I agree. If it didn't, if it didn't better their career, then it wasn't worth it. That was my, that it wasn't their job. It wasn't, it wasn't acceptable. Right. And I'm so happy to hear this is true for you too. Um, how else do you keep the balance? Are there times when you ever do pay your students? Yes, they do get paid um, when they reach phase three. Um, so way I've got things structured right this minute is that I have several students who travel in for one or two weeks at a time, sometimes a month at a time, and then they go home and are completely off call while somebody else is coming to call. So I have about 10 to 15 students this year, which is amazing and wonderful that everybody gets to do some training. And then I stack a phase three student with a phase two or a phase one so that two people are at each birth so that they can still get their signatures but they're not doing the same thing. You know, I uh -huh. can't have two phase three sketching a baby and get a signature. That's not ever going to no. happen ever. And no. it doesn't work that way. But somebody yep. can learn the different roles and can learn how to work together. So if I have a student who's in phase three and another student who's in phase two and another student who's just coming in phase three, I can have all three of them and make it work easily. And all three of them will get a signature for the same birth. And we don't have to do one birth at a time. Which then Love that. to get them up to phase three, where they're able to be acting as a supervised midwife under supervision. Nobody does any work without that. me in the room. It's, I, I take that very seriously. It, it, yeah. Even if I can't be at that birth, I'm going to call in another midwife who is a preceptor who is able yeah. to do that work. My only catch is if they're a meek school, then I have to make sure that those preceptors in the area are also meek school certified for that student. So there's a little bit more paperwork few more things I got to jump through for me schools. I'm okay doing that. It's fine. Yeah, I let's love that. These, let's get these midwives trained. I also, for the ones who travel, I provide an apartment for them so that all they have to do is take care of feeding themselves because there's so much involved in becoming a midwife. There's so much yeah. stress in going to a new area that you don't know whether it's going to work out or not. There is no yeah. reason to make somebody pay extra expense or go through credit checks and all the stress of trying to find a place to be or an Airbnb totally. that's super expensive totally. when my practice can just cover that. That's totally. And it's a small, it's a small contribution, but it makes yeah, a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah. Huge yeah. difference. Huge difference. Well, so so I, I try to make sure that they are well supported as much that's as amazing. so that they have the less stress. And when they're off call, they're off call. Yeah. That's amazing. Call. And you provide all the equipment that they need, so nobody's right. having to buy anything. Nobody yep. has to buy anything. Yep. Now, if they want to, you know, if they're yep. crowdfunded and they've been able to bring their own equipment and they want to try other stuff, go right ahead. Now, I have one student right now that she's like, I think 
I have everything for a birth. I think I can do it. I'm like, great. Next birth, I'm going to put my stuff at the front door. But you get to do all your stuff. You bring it all in and you set up and let's see. Let's check. Let's check for any holes. Because if there's a hole, you know, my stuff's right there. But I'm really excited that she's at a spot where she's like, I got it. I got my stuff. That's That's amazing. That must mean she's probably ready to graduate pretty soon. She's only got two births left. Yeah. Yeah. But but just in a you know, it takes a community to support a midwife. And and I'm telling you, if you are around a student midwife, please give her some money. Please give her Amazon cards. Please give her money because equipment is not cheap. Books are not cheap. Training is not cheap. Please give these student midwives money. I heard that. (laughs) That was very loud thunder. So, Wantina, this is part of what we're here to chat about is that people are struggling. The system is broken. Um, This whole each one teach one midwifery pathway is also fairly broken in that it's a very slow, long process that oftentimes involves uh, preceptor abuse, hazing, uh, neglect, uh, gaslighting, uh, and then eventual dismissal or use as a free labor or then dismissal before the papers are signed. I can't tell you how many phone calls I've gotten from students. It's criminal, really. It's it's really horrible. So we we have to change this. Um, I wrote a thesis um, in my master's degree about the way that we could create a residency program, a postgraduate residency program to help um, create a more standard of care around the nation. Because as you know, people have varying levels of education, varying levels of preceptorship, and um, we, we aren't churning out equally competent folks. And also, you are doing deep work in your community about creating uh, a safe environment. So um, obviously, this could be a huge conversation, and it's going to be one when you come and speak in Galveston, Texas. But tell me a little bit, just overview for me, what is safe midwifery preceptorship, and how do you create that? I think you have to make a choice, too. I think you can't just happen into it. I don't think you can just decide one day, oh, I'm going to be a safe preceptor and assume that what you're doing is safe. I don't think any preceptor can ever just assume that what they're doing is safe for everybody. I think you have to like actually stop and talk to the students. I think you have to stop and listen and not and actively listen. You know, don't listen getting ready to answer, but listen to what they have to say. Um, good clear communication making a choice to clearly communicate um, between everybody has safe preceptorships and student relationships with preceptors so many times and there's not good communication i absolutely see preceptors assume things that aren't necessarily true or students assume things that are definitely not true and then hurt feelings happen um, and everybody's just been out of shape and, and it's not salvageable. It's really hard to enter a client space that is supposed to be held safe and sacred when you have worries and angst and anxiety and worries about whether you're doing the right thing and is the midwife going to get mad at you? Is, is she going to take you out of the car and yell at you or in front of the client? I, I think it really has to be a deliberate choice by the preceptor to investigate and ask those questions about what is it that makes this safe? How can, how can you be safe? 
and ask deliberately of each each person who interviews you, asking to be a asking to be a student. Um, what is it specifically that helps you feel safe? Because that's what defines it more than anything else. But but seriously, don't yell at your students. Don't cuss your students out. Don't throw things at your students. Don't refuse signatures. Don't don't do that stuff. Just, just don't do it. Be nice. It is not that hard. Just we tell our children every single day, be nice humans. Be nice humans. Hello, middle free. Be nice Midwest. Figure out how yeah. to communicate. Cooperate. Yeah. Don't make it things harder than they are. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say like also maybe don't take don't take students if you're if you don't have these skills oh, yeah. yet. Yeah, no, not everybody should be teaching, please. If you don't feel like you're called to teach, please do not. But find out who is. Find, yeah. find out who's in the area that like, yeah, bring up. I love students. No. Yeah. Not everybody is a teacher. And please recognize your space in the world. If you are an amazing breach person, please be the breach queen of all the things. If you're a twin person, be the tween queen of all the things. If you're a student person, be the student person. But if you yeah. can't, if, if having a student stresses you out, please recognize that this is not for everybody. Yeah, and just hire an assistant. Okay. You know, hire an assistant. Oh, Don't so teach students. Yeah, so I many. Have, I, have, I have four, and I'm getting ready to hire two more, four assistants that they just are on call for a week. Can't, yeah. They love going to births. They get yep. so excited to go help at a birth. Yeah, and they clean and up so and they excited. pack up and they chart and they're just there to actually support the mission. Love birth and, assistance. Yeah, exactly. Even with students, I yes. still want a birth assistant there because the students need to be focused on being a student. That's right. They're directly they studying you. The they're not doing cleanup, right? That's what we pay the right. birth assistant for. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. I mean, everyone I'm pitches gonna, in. I'm pitch in and take down yeah, for down sure. Tub just as fast as anybody else. I'm never sure. going to ask anybody to do something that I'm not willing to do. That's For part sure. of being an idea. Yes. But. Yes. But. but. Hey, there's but. lots of jobs at a birth, and they don't yeah. all need to be filled by the senior midwife or by the students. Right. So figuring right. out a way to have the people there that do the jobs without stressing everyone out, birth assistance right. is a huge part of that. And there are, you know, nurses that really want to be birth assistants. Mm -hmm. There are doulas who want to be birth assistants. Mm -hmm. There are student midwives who are taking a break from student world. Mm -hmm. There are newly graduated midwives that would love right. to sit and observe and watch some more. Um, and then there are just folks and, and in your community that you can train. That yeah. want to just come and hang out. And it's okay totally. for them to just come and hang out totally. and have some mentoring time. Because just because you graduate from NARM paperwork does not mean that you're ready. <laughs> you are done and you're not ready. I mean, yeah. That's right. Wait a bit. So the local students, they get to spend an extra two years in my practice being mentored directly because Love they're right that. here. So they get extra space and time. And I think Love that's something that. that's valuable that just because you get your CPM doesn't mean that you're done. But it absolutely does mean that you're ready for a different level of mentorship. Not That's necessarily right. apprenticeship, not necessarily studenthood, but it is a different level of mentorship that is definitely yeah. important. That's and what I, I wrote my residency. No, yeah. there's not. And people are desperate for it. I mean, I, yeah. I get calls all the time, and I wrote a whole 146-page thesis on how to do this. Wantina is out of birth, uh, of course, because she does how many births a year? Uh, between 150 to 200. 
Um, right now, so, I have 180 people in care. Let that sink in, 180 people in care. And she is a solo midwife with um, some birth assistants, a bunch of students, and, and some I, visiting and midwives. In, yeah, I just hired another midwife. Her name's Tabitha, and she Ooh. lives a half an hour south of me, and she's actually doing visits at the office today while I'm at this birth. Fantastic. But I just I want everyone to imagine 180 patients in care. You know, some midwives would balk at 80 patients in care. And 180 patients is an obscene number. I just want to like let that sink in. Um, that lot. is an average of 12 births a month. I mean, 15 births a month. It's yeah, a lot. It's and a slow, you, it's a slow month when we only have six to eight. And you don't have a birth center. You are doing no. all of these homework. I want a birth center so bad. <laughs> no. So the, the Kentucky law does not allow for birth centers here. So we do some hotel births and people do births at people's houses here in Florence area to try to be closer to the hospital. Because we only have one hospital too. You know, we have yes. to drive an hour and a half to get to another hospital. So I'm already That's in the crazy. one hospital town. Um, Kentucky definitely has a maternity crisis. Um, yep. in healthcare yep. because there's not enough hospitals who actually deliver babies. There's not enough midwives yep. yet. We're working on it. We got licensing two years ago. We're up to 32 midwives who are licensed through Kentucky right now. So uh -huh. we're drastically changing things. It's happening. That's We've amazing. got, I think the last count we had was there's 15 students who are students in Kentucky who will be graduating within the next year. Midwifery is amazing in Kentucky rapidly, and I'm so excited. Largely so, because of you. Man, <laughs> That's amazing. Well, um, I, for anyone who's listening, uh, the work of onboarding and orienting a new patient is tremendous. And you yeah. multiply that times the numbers that you're seeing, and it boggles the mind how much you're able to accomplish. Um, Part of the reason you're able to accomplish this is because of your neurodiversity, right? Well, I do think outside of the box, yeah. That's right. Like everybody else. You don't do things do like everybody else. That's right. And this is what I love. So you've chosen this as your topic um, at yeah. the Galveston conference. And I just, could you give a little overview of what you're going to talk about and really why it matters so much? Well, I think it matters because because it matters in the first place, but also I think that I'm really mostly speaking to the relationship of preceptors and students and also the neurodiversity that exists inside of midwifery. Because when you already are meeting the needs of a specific clientele who don't want the normal, it leads people to, to be searching for somebody who also doesn't look at things normally, which is a midwife. There's not very many OBs who are in the world of home birth, but there are definitely lots of midwives who are in the world of home birth who think outside the box. And I think that many, many times the breakdown of communication that is happening between preceptors and students is often because midwives are untrained and unrecognizing what ADHD looks like. They don't know what, um, what the, the different learning styles are like. Some clients, some clients, some students really need to learn with their hands on. Some students need to learn to listen with their ears. They have an auditory processing disorder and they can't hear what you're saying and they need to be able to read it and to be able to touch it and be able to find out. And, and I don't think midwives are prepared for teaching students at all to 
all these different styles of learning and all the different neurodiversity spectrum stuff. And there's also this element of judgment that is in people's eyes about whether it's okay to be a midwife and think outside the box. Is it okay to recognize that you have something on the spectrum, whether you know what it is or not, whether you're medicated or not, there's this judgment. And I'm not okay with that. And it's okay to be that person who thinks outside the box and to recognize what's normal and to recognize how to meet somebody's needs. If we work so hard to meet clients' needs, why aren't we working so hard to meet our students' needs? And so I'm just hoping to bring awareness of what some of that looks like, awareness of some of the ways to solve those issues, awareness to maybe bring it to your attention that maybe you have a neurodiversity that you hadn't realized. Because some people, especially those of uh, us who are females or identify as females, we are such great people pleasers that we can skate through life and morph and change and make things work at our detriment. But we don't realize that we're doing it the hard way. And if we had the support that we need, we actually could do it easier. But if you don't know, you don't know. And so I just want to bring that awareness that maybe the reason why it's so freaking hard to do the work that you're doing is because you're actually looking at the world differently. And here's some tips and here's some tricks. And here's some things that I found that work really well for communicating it. Hire help. You know that better than anybody else. You and I cannot do all the crazy things that we do without our full team help. It takes teams. It takes a partner midwife. It takes a full staff. It takes birth assistance. It takes an office assistant because we can't do it all and keep it all yep. straight unless we're really just surely full of magic. I think midwives are yep. pretty magical, but it's hard to I get that too. kind of magic. <laughs> yeah, we have um, a really um, interesting course um, if you're just starting a business. It's called How to Start a Midwifery Business Right or How to Start a Birth One Business of the Right. Best ones. And it has a lot of details. And one of the things we talk about so much is hiring ancillary professionals. So you need to have a bookkeeper and you need to have someone who's a cleaner and you need to have a biller and you need to offload the things off your schedule that really you're not an expert in. Exactly. Whatever it is you hate, pay somebody else to do it. Exactly. That is absolutely, I it's an exercise called strengths and weaknesses. And I absolutely feel that way. Like we need to have more things that make us feel strong Um, that's a strength and things that make you feel weak is a weakness. And there is absolutely no reason to do things that make you feel weak. I mean, it's craziness to do that. It's actually like a form of self torture. So when you look at your to-do list, um, the things that you hate, like you said, delegate, delegate, outsource. Absolutely. I will say it's really hard to delegate. I I, I see my students. That's a whole nother skill. They're all side-eyeing me going. It's, it's, it's really definitely. I'm so used to doing it. I mean, I've been doing yeah. this for 30 years by myself. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a yeah. big mind shift this year to go, I don't have to do that. I have another. And you can't. Do that. You really can't yeah. with those numbers. You can't do it yeah. all. You can't do it all. So um, do you term. miss births? Do you miss births ever? Uh, like, no, do you... I have not. No, I do not miss births hardly at all unless the parents didn't call me to soon enough um, uh-huh. that's that's on them that does happen i would say probably the not calling soon enough happens once or twice a year um last year i did um 210 births 
and I only called another midwife to come help me twice because there was two people at once. And I really could have done both births had I had a solid team at each birth. And I just ran back and forth because they, they had babies far enough apart. I probably could have, but um, I didn't have enough midwives at that point. Wow. Keep it to CPMs, helping CPMs versus calling in a nurse midwife or somebody else. Wow. Wow. That's so epic. Well, so um, you're in uh, Kentucky and you have a new team coming together and yes. you're taking care of all these mamas. I'm going to ask you what I ask a lot of midwives, which is uh, how do you take care of yourself? Gardener. Um, I like being outside in the garden. Um, my husband and I like to remodel houses together. We totally take out any frustration we have on tearing down walls and throwing stuff together. Um, we, yesterday was you know, a day off, nobody had a baby yesterday, and we were in the garage all day building a new sink vanity. Like, a little bit of that is avoidance of doing what I should have been doing. I really should have been doing some paperwork, but we totally chose to not do paperwork and go do something fun in the garage instead. Um, so, um, those things- Fun in the garage, those don't go together for me, so. <laughs> but my husband did. So. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. There you go. That makes um, sense. No, he's fun to work with. Um, and then I make sure that I am getting regular body work um, because mm -hmm. I think that's really important for me. I don't stay functional unless I make sure and I have the whole year scheduled out for making sure that I'm going in and getting that body work done and all those things. Yes, ma'am. Okay. I'll finish up then. My students so, are running in the background getting stuff. So I'm just giving you, I probably have like, well let's let's wrap it up really quickly um yeah. tell us um if if you got to talk to some newer midwives um who were considering becoming preceptors so there's three years they've done enough births it's time to send in their forms to norm or they're ready to start applying to be preceptors for schools what do you wish that they knew from your years of experience and how many students have you taught now? Like, um, I have 32 who have become CPMs. That's amazing. So you've helped transition 32 students into full-fledged practice. And I would just love to say, what are your words of wisdom for those folks that are about to take up the mantle of education? One, don't do it without having another senior, senior midwife on your back and call have somebody call me call you have another senior midwife that you can call and say hey i need to be able to be mentored through this space especially if it's the first time you've ever taken a student it's really helpful to be mentored through that space of learning how to teach somebody it's really nice to call and go i don't know how to do this i don't know how to teach her how to do this give me some ideas because you've never taught it before it's okay to recognize that you don't know how to teach this, but also yeah. don't be afraid of it. Yeah. Try it. See yeah. what happens. I mean, start with something simple. Just do phase one where they're just coming in and observing and assisting and learning how to help out. Just take it easy. Teach them how to do blood pressure. Teach them how to listen to heart rate. Just do simple skills at first. And if yeah. that's overwhelming to you, step back and wait another three years before you try again. Yeah. If that's the case, go ahead and get your preceptorship, but only do like the second verifier skills. Like you can totally sign off on skills, but you're not interested in helping them learn how to be a full-blown supervised midwife. 
start yeah. with something simple. Yeah. But do it I love that. another midwife hand in hand. And if you get yeah. overwhelmed, stop. Recognize yeah. that you need to stop. If it makes you cry to think about calling your student to a birth, you should not be a midwife who's teaching. That's so true. So I'm going to add something to this. My biggest request of new preceptors is um, have a student handbook and a contract. Yes. Make and it clear. It <laughs> we did write it. We did <laughs> yeah. write it and design it. We have a 50 page full color student contract okay. um, and, and handbook. And it gives all of the like primer, like for new students, like what to expect and what to bring even for yourself and when to call your midwife and What's it all about? What do you expect of them? Have that all written down and then have an actual written agreement. You don't have to call it a contract because contract but is sort of, write it out. but you, you have, have to, to write have it out. Point. It's an agreement. It's if this, then that, right? So one of the most important points I want to have in all midwifery student agreements is how you terminate the relationship. Just like yeah. any good prenup, just like any good business contract, um, LLC paperwork, we have to know what we're going to do at the end. And there is going to be an end of the relationship. If it goes really well, the end will be when they've caught all their births and gotten all their signatures and they're actually graduating. So have a clause about graduating. And if they are actually not doing well, how do you end a, a challenging relationship? Um, write all that out. And if you don't want to yeah. write it out, purchase our template. It's 60 bucks. It's on the website, Midwifery Wisdom. Com. And it gives you a framework, at least, for how to have this conversation because we need to be done with this martyrdom and this like backstabbing and this codependence and this like dysfunctional, toxic relationships. And one of the ways out of that is clarity and communication. So we made it yeah, simple to go ahead and do needs that. To know how yeah. To get out. Mm -hmm. Because I've yeah. been in bad, bad apprenticeships. Yeah. Both Me too. Me too. As a midwife. Yeah. And when it, yep. when it needs to end, you know. Everyone knows. You know. But then if it's but written down you get in that it. frustration, you can just yeah. write it down and you can go to it and you can say, oh, when we weren't working anymore, I have to give two weeks notice. I have to give two months notice, whatever you write in the contract. I get to keep this. The, this goes back to the practice. I'll get these signatures. This is when and how I can ask for these right. signatures. This is how it will end. So, um, uh, some of the preceptors I work with, they require their new students to go and purchase their own handbook from us so that then they can go through the process with them all individually. Some really of them help students to learn how to ask the right questions. So sometimes if you're new to midwifery, yeah. you don't know how cutthroat yeah. it can be. And you don't you're know. You're so innocent coming in and you don't know what you're getting into until it's too late. Yeah. And when yep. it's too late. Then you're desperate and you don't know you don't know how to do it. So start yeah. Off so this boundary setting in the beginning yeah. will really help. Well, I'm so grateful we had this time together. I cannot wait to be with you in person. Like I'm buzzing from this. Um, I, I can't I wait to everyone see so up. many amazing people that I have followed for so long yes. and thought they were so cool. And I'm just like, I know. Oh, I know. I know. We've got an epic list. If you go onto our Instagram page here, you can see about half of the speakers have been announced so far. Um, we've confirmed the other half, their videos are coming. So woo, I just confirmed one uh, that I'm so excited for. Do you know Whitney Pinger? I do. I'm, I'm so excited to see wow. Whitney Pinger. Oh yeah, 45 years as a midwife, started the wow. midwifery program at George Washington University. 
and has done home births and all kinds of fun things. So very exciting. Um, and so many places to go. Um, our website is a huge resource. Check it out, midwifrewisdom.com. We've got courses and downloadable products and chat boards and a jobs board and all kinds of other things to help midwives on their paths. Thanks everyone for tuning in tonight and thanks for listening if you're catching this on the podcast and we will see you all on the flip side. One, Tina, take good care of yourself. Have a beautiful birth today, tonight, whatever time it is. Stay in touch, my love. All right, bye-bye.